Welcome to the Get Wiser podcast series, created for you by the Women in Subsidiary Engineering Professional Network. WISE is an initiative of Subsidiary Energy Australia. The WISE Network provides training, mentoring and support to women working in STEM professions. The network is also working towards achieving gender parity within the subsidiary industry. For more information on WISE or to get involved, visit the Subsea Energy Australia website at www.subseaenergy.org.au WISE or search for the WISE group on LinkedIn. Today's podcast is presented by Dr. Annette Watkins, the founder and managing director of two innovative companies in sustainability. Annette is dedicated to addressing the need to develop a diverse talent pipeline in our economy. She has a PhD, an MBA, is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and has a number of non-executive director roles. This podcast was recorded during a Get Wiser Lunch and Learn workshop. In this workshop, Annette speaks to the wise women about how they can become board ready. In this podcast, you will learn what skills are required, how to position yourself, and what strategies you need to implement to gain the board position that you desire. We hope that you enjoy the podcast. Um, my name is Annette. Um, I am a local girl, but spent most of my career, professional career, outside this country for some reason. Um, from the moment I turned 17, um, I started in oil and gas in Adelaide, um, and then spent 20 years in oil and gas. Um, came back for a short period of time and led the um, one of the deregulation projects in this country, but then went back overseas. Um, set up a renewable energy company, sold that, um, and thought that I would retire with my little bubby, and that would be the end of it. Um, what happened was that I did my PhD in sustainability. Um, a mate asked me to do a gig in Hong Kong, do it for a VVIP airline. So they're the ones that fly the pop stars, the Asian pop stars around the country. Very cool, kind of thought that'd be fun, get me out of being mum. Um, but within 18 months, we had a business that had 52 employees and working through the region. 2014, had that for seven years and sold that business. Um, and so can't work in that industry because of the, the reasons for the sale. It wasn't a planned sale. I was tapped on the shoulder um, and things happen and you think it's the right time. So sustainability and this sector that you guys work in is something that is um, close to me. Um, but I have moved more into looking at how do we prepare future leaders. So that's really where I'm spending a lot of my time now. Um, and a majority of that time is on boards. Um, for a long time, I actually resisted the idea of boards. Um, so one message I'd like to leave with you today is, there is a lot of, I suppose, pressure um, that this is a good thing 
but it has to be a right fit for you. It is very different than being an employee-employer relationship. It's more like a marriage. And some of the conversations that happen around the table um, come down to this fit and this relationship that you have. So um, I'll talk, what I would hope to do is, is look at these five points. So things for you to consider um, to being on a board. Um, looking at your key purpose because if when looking at boards you really need to make sure you're fitting in the pocket so for me it's not for profits it's in the education space um, and well-being as that very much fits with the social sustainability stuff that I've done in the past um, so there is a temptation of going well there's a board opportunity let's just apply for any board opportunity um, but again it goes back to my earlier point it's a very different involvement that you'll have in the organization um, considering profits for not versus not-profit organisation, there's a real decision around that, and I'll talk a bit about that in a moment. I'll look at um, some skill sets and leave you with you three skill sets that you really need to have on your CV. Your CV will look very different for a board compared to that of when you're going for work. Um, and then the last bit is around influencing, and then I'll leave you three points around that. So three will be the magic number today, I'm sure. So. To get started, just to go back to some basics that, um, and my apologies if I'm starting at a very fundamental he point here, I believe it's really important though that we reinforce this idea that when you're on a board, it is around this strategic management and governance idea. Um, so they're the three things that you need to have forefront in mind. Do you feel comfortable in this space? So if I was to go around the table, what are the industries are you see that you'd like to be in boards, on boards? Around the table, what would you say? I don't want to necessarily pick anyone. Yeah. I've seen a few positions on not-for-profit yep. animal shelter places. Uh-huh. And is that where you have a real interest? That's my passion. Yeah. But then, yeah, I see um, a lot of older people on the boards and it scares me. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's hold on to that idea because that's a really important point that I'll come back to. And I'll, whilst I've got these five points, I may not follow those because I'd really like this to be a conversation rather than me standing here as an academic. One thing that I meant to say is that I have an adjunct role here and in Shanghai and Hong Kong and I really love that. So I don't want to fall into that kind of um, professor role that um, is so easy. We, we, get some, we don't get trained to do that, but somehow we all adopt that kind of standard deliver. So hence why I'm sitting down and asking questions. So if it comes a bit too academic, you need to pull me in line. Um, but I really like to hold on to that point, Lucy, because I think that's really important. Any other industries that, yeah? Yeah. Good point. So um, that's another really important point that I want to talk to you about today, and, and I call it the gift. So, so when we're talking about being on a board, what is the gift that you bring to the board? So we'll talk about that sometimes it's not the obvious things that we, we see that we can provide to the board. Any other industries that what, people... What I would be interested in would be uh, the arts. The arts industry. Arts and, and, and um, events. Yeah. So like the ballet and, and yeah, yeah, performance, uh, yeah, yeah, performance, yeah, uh, um, yeah, 
Lovely. I could listen to you speak all day. <laughs> I love your accent. What, any other industries then? Yeah, great, great point. And I might start with that because when we're talking about, there's a lot, look, to tip, the opportunities for women in Western Australia is probably being the best that we've seen in many years. Um, you may have noted that my email address is, um, or in my bio maybe, that I'm part of Behind Closed Doors, and that's a women in business um, group. And they were founded primarily to, to get more women on boards. Um, Donnie Walford set this up 10 years ago. And you know she has an amazing career on boards where she was tapped on the shoulder, for instance, by the Prime Minister a couple of years ago to be on the ABC board. Um, so that's, the, and so she's one of, she has the best track record in this country of getting women on boards. Um, and one thing where it, what we've noticed is that there's an appetite, particularly like the finance industry, um, to get Western Australian women on board. The Eastern States voice is very much heard. Um, so, there's a, so there's an opportunity that is a knocking at the moment, which we, we have been observing for the last 12 to 18 months. When it comes to um, you know, that whole idea of boards, women on boards, you know, this is not the forum for us to be banging tables and saying it's important. We all know that's important and I think the conversation needs to change. It needs to change around gender and um, because it's a really um, complex argument and I think we need to not talk about it as, you know, um, victims and being missing out. It's deep and it's a, a, a complex problem that we need to see happen within organisations, but also need to see what's happening outside, you know, governments and what they're doing. But also there's a deeper layer, um, and some of my research has been in this area, about culture and values. And it very much goes to that, that I want you to really understand the organisations you're thinking about. So when it comes to government or for the not-for-profit space, and, and so if I go to Lucy's point around, you know, you look at some boards and you see people that are on there and they may be an older group of people. Um, Not-for-profits, there is a real decision. And I know there's, there's discussion, particularly coming out of some of our organisations that train our directors, and I won't mention who they are, but I'm sure you know who the organisations are, but they talk about not-for-profits being a training ground. I really challenge that idea because in recent times, the obligations upon you as a director in not-for-profits is just as great as if you were in for-profits. So I think there's a bit of a myth still out there in town that um, it's less risky. Um, and that was one reason why I chose not to be on boards for a while because I wanted to protect my assets. Um, so you really need to be thinking, look, you know, very firstly, looking at your assets, how are they protected? Um, even if you want to go on a little animal shelter, um, you know, has cute doggies and, and, and that. Um, the other challenge is, and we actually lost a board member not long ago, who was a, a young guy, um, amazing background, and on the not-for-profit boards, what really brings richness to those organisations are those community members. So for instance, um, I'm on an aged care board and we have volunteers, we have over 200 volunteers in our, on our, in our organisation and another 95 employees. But we have 
volunteers. Um, at one stage we had half our board as volunteers. That slowly changed. I think we might be getting the balance right. But we lost people because they couldn't relate to those volunteers. Um, so it's really important that when you look at the board um, for not-for-profits, that their heart isn't lost. The risk for not-for-profits um, at the moment is that they're becoming more corporatised. Um, and so that presents a risk in being part of not-for-profit boards. Um, so the reality is that can you work with those older folk on the board? Um, and that's a question that you really need to ask because if it's going to stay true to its um, mission and purpose, you need to have not just those from corporate, but you need to have those that are involved as volunteers, you know, driving the bus or washing the dogs because it really stays true to vision. One thing that I, and I'm just going to jump some slides. One, um, one point that I want you to um, think about is you know, in understanding that company, and these are some of the questions that um, I'll, I'll leave you to ponder. And I look around the table and what I see is quite a number of what we call digital um, natives. Um, you know, you're the ones that grew up with social media. Um, my age group and a few of us around the table are our immigrants. But we have become quite used to carrying devices around with us. So, for instance, I always have my laptop, my iPhone, my, my Mac, um, my iPad, not that I need all three, and sometimes I have my watch too. Um, but we've become used to using these devices and being connected. Another opportunity that we find on boards today is around this idea of, of managing not only our financial risks, but also that of social media. So when we're talking about governance, I want you to think about your mind much broader around the risk that social media brings. So another opportunity, particularly for young women, is, is you understand social media. It's so innate to you that you bring a level of wisdom that the current set that sit on boards don't have. And so this is a very much a growing area of, of boards. Um, so it's one thing to think about you know, your toolkit, and I'll go to the three skills in a moment then, but this is another one in addition to the three skill sets that I encourage you to think about how that can be relevant to your board career. Because many boards that I have been speaking to, that is one area that they know it's important, they don't understand it, um, but they see it's a risk. And, and if you watch um, ABC and some of those shows, um, around marketing, um, what's that called again? I've just forgotten. Gruen the Gruen transfer. Um, actually, one of them were in town not long ago and I, went, I met with him. And you know, he's talking specifically around understanding the marketing strategy as well as your financial strategy in your organisation. So they're two things to very much look for if you can get your hands on that before you join a board. Yes. Yeah, thank you for that question. I didn't, I, I'm assuming some knowledge, so I'll go back to, yeah, thank you. So basically it's your involvement in management versus non-management. So I'm assuming most people around the board here would be an NED, a non-executive director of some form. Um, and for not-for-profits, that's where you are usually, okay? So, um, and it's really interesting when we look at our board structure in this country versus the States, and I was in the States not long ago. Um, 
we, we challenge what's happening in, in our country around particularly women on boards, but the gap over in that country is so much greater because of the, the non-executive directors versus the executive director balance on boards. So if you look at who, who occupies those leadership roles in organisations are usually men who then sit on the boards and there's even a less number of women sitting on boards in that country. And it comes down to the governance structure of that country. So there's some uniquenesses um, and I think whilst we criticise what's happening in this country, um, you know, there are some real positive things and in view particularly around those, um, those laws that govern our boards. So I mentioned um, around the, the gift that you bring to your board and so that takes me to the next idea that I'd like to talk to you about and, and that is seeing what you contribute to, to your board. Some people think that you need to be sitting in uh, some senior role ready to um, go on to a board, whether that be um, 2IC in a business or in the CEO role. I really challenge your thinking around that. Um, and it comes down to you understanding what your skill sets are and how you lead in the role that you br you're in. And therefore, what gift can you bring to the board? So if you're interested in a board, and let's just take, um, I know, Shenton Park, um, the dog shelter there, because, sorry, Lucy, you're right to my left, and I look to my left. So, um, so if we look at that board and, and then we understand who's around the table, we can then start to see, we can position ourselves of what kinds of skill sets and or gifts that we can provide to the board um, in what we're doing. But we need to to articulate that very differently than what how we articulate that to, say, an employee. So there's some work that um, is done by this woman that I'm just going to show you here. Um, so has anyone heard from heard about this woman here? No? So she talks about, and hopefully the volume works on here, so my apologies. I've, I don't know if it's linking through. I'll just play the first five minutes or so and then stop because I think she does has this discussion down a lot better than I can articulate it for you about distinguishing yourself between being an employee and now being a non-executive director. And then that will link uh, flow us through to those three skill sets that we really need to be forefront, right up top on your CV and need to be identifying opportunities or examples that we're working in that space now. Um, but I think it's a really interesting video because it, it, it um, talks about that deeper level that I spoke about a little bit earlier about. If we're going to get more women on boards, there's the external and the internal changes that need to happen around policy and conversation, but there's a much deeper level and an understanding. And that's what she talks to. So let's have a listen. percentages of women at the top of organizations represent not even a third of that number. So some people hear that statistic and they ask, why do we have so few women leaders? But I look at that statistic and if you, like me, believe that leadership manifests at every level, you would see that there's a tremendous, awesome resource of leaders which raises a 
do with understanding where the organization is going, what its strategy is, what financial targets it has in place, and understanding your role in moving the organization forward. This is that missing 33% of the career success equation for women, not because it's missing in our capabilities or abilities, but because it's missing in the advice that we're given. Here's what I mean by that. Five years ago, I was asked to moderate a panel of executives, and the topic for the evening was, what do you look for in high potential employees? So think about the three elements of leadership as I summarize for you what they told me. They said, we look for people who are smart and hardworking and committed and uh, trustworthy and resilient. So which element of leadership does that relate to? Personal greatness. They said, we look for employees who are great with our customers, who empower their teams, who negotiate effectively, who are able to manage conflict well, and are overall great communicators. Which element of leadership does that equate to? Engaging the greatness in others. And then they pretty much stopped. So I asked, well, what about people who understand your business, where it's going, and their role in taking it there? And what about people who are able to scan the external environment, identify risks and opportunities, make strategy or make strategic recommendations? And what about people who are able to look at the financials of your business, understand the story that the financials tell, and either take appropriate action or make appropriate recommendations. And to a man, they said, that's a given. And I think that, that last point is really important. So whilst this video is couched within the context of an employee and we're thinking CEOs, this is the mindset that I want you to be thinking about for the board. Um, so often we talk about you know, the commitment or the passion that you might have for the cause, but at the very start is that business, the strategy, that those three acumens that she talked about a moment ago. That's what needs to be, and your financial acumens, that needs to be top and centre in your, C, in your CV. I've posed an opportunity as millennials, um, as digital natives, and those who are well-established immigrants in the digital space, there's another unique skill set that will stand out. But all those other things that we talked about with leadership, um, they're the things that get you in front of people. Um, and we often put the wrong emphasis. So the key thing I want to say to you is take out of your CV, have a one-page CV for a board, um, really lean, and it's all about those three acumens. So take out a lot of the other ideas of, around, you know, you're committed, etc., as we talked about there. And so the, I think whilst it's a really simple message, it uncovers that deeper level that is really the obstacle of get, seeing more women on boards because we, we often focus on you know, those other things that we work well in teams and we drive all those things, which are all really important. Um, that gets you to the table, but that doesn't take you far enough. So it's around business. It's around, actually, I'll ask you guys, what did you pick up from the video? What, financial? Good.
so, um, so really that's when I'm talking about um, to what you need to have to the board. But then what is that uniqueness, that gift that you also bring, that you can identify, which fit into those three things? But when it comes to, to then actually being at the table saying, yep, I've got those skill sets, what do you need to do? And it then relies upon three levels of influence. And those three levels of influence is around you know, the logical, so we've settled that with your CV, but it's also the social and the emotional. And we can't underestimate those three elements when we're looking at boards. So who likes going networking, networking events? Big, yeah, you like it, yeah? You do it. That's often, that's often the, the, the reaction that we have. Who likes going, you know, and just having a chat with people? Who likes meeting new people? Who likes learning stuff? Yeah? I think we all do. We're here today for that reason. So if we could even just stop using the word networking, I think that would be great. So to get on boards, what we will find is it, it is a tap on the shoulder. Um, and it's also a conversation and planning a seed. It's those social relationships that are really important, particularly with chairs of those organisations, of those boards, because it goes back to the very opening comment that I made today, is it's more like a marriage than it is an employee-employer relationship. You need to understand the flow of communication. How does your CEO this, of the organisation and the board communicate? And even for a not-for-profit, you, you need to have your mind open a little bit more that there'll be some messiness. You might have other people in your organisation, and I'll be really honest, that drives me a little bit crazy, even today on one of my boards, where I'll have um, the operational manager and the finance person getting involved in some conversation, going, just, can we leave it to the CEO? But I need to remember that it's a small organisation and people work for not-for-profits for a very different reason than we work for you know, large corporations. So that and a passion is a, very, a word that I find awkward to say because I think it's overused but in this instance I will use it because they do work because there is something more, a reason why they want to work for the not-for-profit. So we really need to understand that flow of communication and, and, and how does that work? Um, and can you work with those people, be on the board? And because you're there primarily to support the CEO. So do you have a skill set there to support the CEO, particularly for not-for-profits? One board approached me not long ago and I sat with her and the first thing I said to the CEO was, so tell me what your day looks like. And then she went through a day and it was, well, she bought stationery and she met with volunteers and then she had a meeting with the minister's office and then she did a strat planning session with another board member and then went out and bought coffee and that for the volunteers. And so, you know, when I look at the gift I can provide, I, one thing is about setting up a business and setting up some great processes. So that's my contribution to the board. And so... They're the sorts of questions or ideas I want you to have in your mind when you're thinking about the board. What can you actually bring to the table? Because then the conversation you have with people who are going to engage you on the board is very different and it's not competitive, it's real. It's like, actually, I can really help you on this. And so when you do have to turn up at 7pm for a board meeting and be there sometimes till midnight, 
it isn't a painful thing. You know, it might be a little bit sometimes. But you're there from a very real different purpose. Um, you can see that you're adding value. So it, it, I really want to just reinforce that mindset about why and what you're looking for on the board. Um, and the last thing then that I'll comment on is your support network. The reality is that more and more boards want you to have AICD accreditation and that is a huge investment, um, time and money. It is valuable, but there are other organisations. Does anyone know Alicia Curtis? Alicia Curtis um, runs an organisation that trains particularly young people on boards, but she's extended this um, because she has a, a, a purpose to get more young people on boards, particularly not-for-profits. But she runs a training organisation and it's um, maybe a tenth or even less of what AICD charge. But what's unique also about what Alicia Curtis, and if you want some information, I can send you a link, um, is that whilst you talk about governance um, and the difference between um, NEDs and executive directors and going back to those fundamental reasons around governance and management and strategy, she'll also talk about behaviours. And behaviours on boards is really what drives success of boards. Um, being on for-profit and not-for-profit, it's the ability to pick the phone up. It's the ability to have a coffee with a person. It may sound so, so basic. But when I don't see that happen around the table, that's when you can see trouble happening within a board. Um, so Alicia Kirsch offers um, that. But I do encourage you to get out there and talk to people that are in on those boards that you want to be part of and, and get known. Um, but also get yourself educated on this. Um, and, and it could start with you just reading. And I have a few articles I can email to you, some basics around governance in not-for-profit. There's a really great report that came out. And I didn't want to do the academic thing and have them ready and you know, reading these 100-page documents. Um, but if it does interest you, there's a really great report that came out in this country um, around issues and risks for not-for-profits and what they need to be focusing. And again, one big thing is around social media because not-for-profits are looking at social media and how they can get their name out at a low cost. You know, we have, for every person, there's three charities in this country, lots of noise. So social media is inexpensive and a great way to get the name out. But that comes with a significant cost um, or risk, rather. So there's lots of free resources that um, I can help you um, get directed to. Pro Bono, has anyone heard of Pro Bono? Yeah, so subscribing to that and there's some really great things that come out of that organisation too to help you get ready. Whilst I criticise the strategy of starting on not-for-profits as a training ground, um, it is a good place to start and you probably wouldn't get a paid gig straight up if you aren't in a CEO role. Um, there, of course, are opportunities. I would say, and this is probably my, low, uh, my, my closing comment, is that I'd be very careful about organisations that you pay for and they promise you to get board positions. Um, there's some organisations in this country that you may be paying somewhere from five, $600 upwards, sometimes up to $6,000, guaranteeing you board positions. Be very careful of, of um, buying into that because particularly in this town, and if 
uh, are people locals around here from this town? Anyone outside of this? Yeah, of course, that beautiful accent. It's a hard town to get into. We're, we're quite, you know, parochial. We're Western Australians. Um, and so promising to get on boards through that paid services, um, I really challenge how what their success rates in what you're paying. I'm sure they get some success, but I wonder if it's really worth the investment. So the old school of identifying an organisation and developing those relationships will take you a lot further. And you'll have that, that confidence that you have made the right decision to be on that board in view of the risks that come with being on a board. So it's probably not the most positive note to finish on. Um, and, I, and I've jumped through most of these um, ideas as things have been raised. Are there any questions people have? Yeah, Nikki. So you just said the risks of being on a board. Can you elaborate on that? OK, so the risks uh, could be as great as you losing all your assets um, because you're liable. So one thing of being on a board is that you need to um, say that you're a responsible person. So once you're um, voted onto a board at the AGM, but not for profits, but other boards having their constitution to be able to bring people in in between AGMs if there's a vacancy. The more likely you come through an AGM and you may sit there for three years, usually is the term. Um, and so a responsible person says you haven't been bankrupt, that you don't have any conflicts of interest and that you're liable and that so everything you sign off on that board, at those board meetings, the financials, you have done your due diligence and you go get this is sound financials um, and you understand the processes. So hence it goes back again a very simple message about communication between the CEO and the board but it goes to the very heart of around risk. So if you don't see this very, and I don't mean I'd be worried if people are going out for beers and coffees um, too often, but if there's the ability to pick up the phone and have a robust conversation and a, or go out for coffee and, and have a, a, a conversation around the operations of the business, that should give you some, some confidence that there is some openness, some transparency that happens. So if I go back to the, the, three, the four pillars, which I, I must admit I did glide over, but you know, be, for risks for being on a board is around, are you making fair decisions? Is there transparency? So for not-for-profits, you need to, of course, have your annual report and your financials, but also if there are changes in the board, how do they inform the volunteers, for instance? Um, you know, do they keep volunteers away? What strategies do they have about bumping numbers up on an AGM? Um, because you know, they don't want, they want their mates to be on the board. So, you know, there's those sorts of things um, that you need to be under, and you're not going to be able to ask those questions explicitly like that, but you could ask them. So how do you keep your volunteers informed if it's a not-for-profit, for instance? Accountability, well, I've gone through that in regards to financials, and then your responsibilities. Um, so every decision that comes up to the board, sometimes board packs can be over 100 pages long, and you get five days to read it with a full-time job and really understand it, you need to be. So it goes back to that question around time. You know, um, a good day, a month, to look at a board pack, and, I, and it's usually not sitting in one day. A board meeting, a good board meeting, should be a couple of hours. But if you're thinking about, like, we just recruited a CEO, really interesting process, because I actually had res res reservations around um, employing a person. 
And we had to talk to them about, and this is in a conservative aged industry, aged care industry, and this person come with great credentials, but loved his fashion, loved jewellery, loved Italian shoes, and I thought, here's a great dresser. But what kind of message is that sending to people who use the service? Mums and dads who are wanting to look after their, their aged parents, you know? So there's those difficult conversations that we had to have when we employed the CEO. Maybe if you were to be engaged, um, would you mind wearing jeans and sand shoes and a polo shirt? Um, because it's around the reputation uh, of the business. So they're the things you need. So when you're thinking strategy, that's the kind of thing that you need to be thinking at um, around the table. Hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that that's the absolutely, absolutely. So you really need to be thinking about how you structure. Um, so you know some people refuse to have anything in their name, um, but it also goes down to selection of of organisations that you want to be part of. If one has a great track record, then the risk of that is very minimal, and that's I think what I'd encourage you to do. There are people that I know who deliberately take those board roles that no one wants to touch, that she has nothing in her name, you know. So, and that's a, that's a deliberate strategy that some people who want to have a board portfolio career choose to do. Mm. We should Absolutely. Look, it, it, it's, you know, that's a wise decision and that's something that you should be, you know, it can happen not just being on a board. Um, so something that you really need, so making an appointment with your accountant could be one action that you take away today. It's, if you haven't bought a house, maybe it's talking to, um, an advisor of some form to go, what should I be doing? Because it's a very difficult process in changing it once you own it, as you're probably aware. Mm. Is there any other questions that people have? Yeah. Um, I have a question on pathways to yeah. in the boards. So, the different ways that you can possibly get the things that you do in your career, what impact will that have on opportunities? I'm personally thinking about the difference between operations and consulting roles. Um, and in regards to what kinds of boards uh, that would what, take what you? What types of opportunities will the path that you take in your career and getting that experience impact what opportunities are there? Yeah. So I suppose there's a number of ways I can answer that. Um, and it goes Fundamentally, it goes back to what is the unique thing that you can bring to the organisation. So if you're in management consulting, you know, the, the BD side of things is really important, particularly for not-for-profits, for instance. Um, and so that could be how you position yourself. It could be around process um, improvements. And again, if I'm thinking not-for-profits, there's a real appetite for that. Um, but, it, but what that video was talking about whilst it was you know, looking at getting CEOs, it's the same kind of thing that you need to be thinking about. You may be in the middle manager role, but you're doing some great things. You've got some skill sets there. So tell me what your day is like. Are you, are you a consultant now? Yeah. Yeah? There was a decision about whether it was better strategically to go back to operational roles, things like that. And, and I think, and yeah, it's a really interesting... Thing because a woman came up to me not long ago, probably a 
about your age too. Um, and some believe that it's best to stay in, in an organisation and then become a consultant maybe in a few years' time, just so you get that track record within an organisation because being a consultant and being in an organisation is a very different kind of um, way of working. In saying that though, you do develop some unique skill sets as a consultant. So to really answer that, that's really about you and fit and I'd probably have to have a longer conversation with you. Um, but top of head, process improvement, BD, there's a lot of appetite and that fits in with that strategy and the financial acumen um, skills that you need to have straight up on your CV. Mm. Yeah, so one thing that um, I encourage you to do is get a copy of their constitution. And so the constitution will set out how those meetings will be structured. Um, and so the, um, recently just in this state, but it followed what happened in the, eastern co in the east coast, was that um, the department, so the department has a set of rules that not-for-profits just usually pick up and then edit. And in those rules for not-for-profits, for instance, they introduce for the first time telecommunication and other ways of meeting. Um, For-profit boards have been doing that for many years. They may require a certain number of face-to-face -face, um, meetings and you also need to understand what is the number of meetings you have to attend. So if there's 10 meetings in a year, what's the, the um, minimum that you need to be sitting? So, Go to the constitution and that will outline if there's technology that's permissible for meetings. Most organisations now do allow it. Being on the East Coast, I'm on a board on the East Coast, I make the effort and often it's factored into your sitting fees too. Um, to fly, if it is not, um, you don't get paid for that, then um, maybe that's part of the negotiation of being on the board. Maybe you would say once a year to fly over um, to sit. And again, it goes back to that social part, you know, but eyeballing people, you just can't, you can't put a value on it. Remuneration, look, that as long as a string can be. Sometimes you'll get paid, um, so, for instance, um, and I can speak personally, um, one is around 20, 25,000 a year, um, and uh, that's a for-profit board. Um, others, um, so others would be not-for-profits. I cannot think of top of head anyone who is sitting fees in this in this town. They may have expenses though that you can recover. Um, so there's um, one that I'm in, in the, up in the north, right past the north in Pilbara, um, and they'll pay, um, yeah, so that, that's reimbursed though. So mm. if I'm moving back to the east, I can still be on the board? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah.
by going to a different industry, they're just going to go, sure, you go, go back to engineering? Yeah, no, so for instance, in aged care, and that's a poor profit board, um, I've never worked in aged care, but it goes back to what is that unique gift that you can bring. So the insights around if it's process management or if it's what it, so, but what I would encourage you is that as long as you understand the fundamentals of that organisation or that industry. So for instance, you know, aged care has gone through a significant change. NDIS, I still have to keep asking the dumb questions. Um, and I suppose one of the slides that I said is, is you need to know what sort of questions you need to ask. The worst thing is to go into that setting and go, I don't know what I don't know. Um, there will always be that element in life. But acknowledging what you don't understand, asking those questions. Um, so that isn't a limitation. Um, you know, we see many athletes on boards. Um, they don't have necessarily, you know, you can think of some of our great footballers. Um, they come from the industry, but they come with a set of skills. So that shouldn't ever be as long as you have a innate connection to that industry. So finance, you know, the finance banking industry, you kind of get it. Good start, yeah. Just, just an area that I'm fascinated by, but also see us as a culture totally disconnected from a lot of people who say they hate finance. Yeah. And, and particularly women, oh, I don't want to think about money. Yeah. You know, um, the chief scientist was talking last week about how she started a Absolutely, and 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 that's a key message around the table. You cannot be scared of numbers. You know, whilst I have an MBA and I've done finance and run businesses. Um, I did not like numbers up until about 15 years ago. I hate, I became dyslexic at one stage where I, I used to put S's and 6's, get them mixed up. I just used to go completely numb when I saw numbers, but had to force myself. So if you're on boards, reality is, and it goes back to those one of those four responsibilities, you need to know the numbers and understand the numbers and know what questions you need to ask. So financial literacy may be something that you need to focus on if you want to be on a board. Going directly to the finance industry, it's a, like aged care, it's an area of growth. You know, cryptocurrency and all this kind of discussion, banks are having to wake up to what's happening out there. Um, so I think it's an exciting area and it's an area that they won't rely upon same old skill sets and people. So I think, yeah, it's a really strategic move. Mm. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned a little something new. This audio recording is a copyright of the Women in Subsea Engineering Network. This podcast has been funded by the Women in STEM grant received from the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science of the Australian Government. Thank you.